0: All right, we are back with Dr. Andy Jones of Dr. Andrew's Poetry and Technology Hour. Thank you. And we are discussing television, specifically the invention of television 75 years ago this very month in San Francisco. I know that this is something that uh, you've been reading up on.
1: It is. You know, you mentioned San Francisco. It's interesting to me that this really is a, a Western phenomenon. When you think about television, as someone who grew up on the East Coast, I always thought of it coming out of New York and the East, necessarily. Right. But to think that the the idea for television as we know it today came uh, out of a, a teenager's thoughts as he was plowing his farm in Utah, and that it was really born in neighborhoods that uh, KDBS listeners know well in San Francisco. Really changes our entire perspective about where we think this kind of cultural phenomenon
0: originates. It is amazing to me to think that at the base of Telegraph Hill, where Coit Tower is in San Francisco, yeah. and by coincidence, um, you know, is two blocks away from the KGO studios at the present time, the building is still there uh, at Green and Sansom Street, where, yes, Philo Farnsworth at age 21. In um, on September 7th, to be exact, 1927, broadcast for the first time an image using a purely electronic means of sending a signal. Guys had been working before this with a with mechanical television, with a with a complicated device using um, a disc with with holes cut into it in a spiral. They were able to sync up the holes, and if everything was synced up exactly right, you could shine a light through it and then sync it up to your, to your other machine and thereby get an image. But it, they were very bad images.
1: It was like a, a really fast, uh, what are those things called, picture viewers? You know, those toys that kids have where you kind of uh, advance the wheel and you move on to the next image. From what I saw, if you just advance it really quickly, then it almost seems like a, a moving image, but right. still seems um, certainly uh, awkward and pedestrian compared to what Farnsworth was coming up with in the 20s.
0: Now, interestingly, about uh, about six months ago, my sound engineer, Mr. Edward McMillan here, uh, asked me about this Wired magazine article about the man that invented television. I said, what do you mean, the man who invented television? He so, said, well, the article's about the guy that invented TV. And I said, well, TV doesn't have an inventor. There's a lot of guys that were involved in, in inventing TV. And I went to think, and I said, um, the guy's name's Vladimir Zworykin," is the name that comes to mind. Well, of course, he then gave me the Wired Magazine article, and I was disabused of this notion. It was actually, Zwerkin does have a role to play, but it actually is, is much more complicated. He was
1: more of a, uh, a spy, wasn't he? Sent over from uh, by, by Sarnoff. Am I remembering this right? Well... S- sent over to, um, wasn't, it, wasn't it Zwerkin who was sent over to check out what Farnsworth was up to?
0: Yes. The, the story is that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Farnsworth is age 14, plowing a potato field. He's interested in radio. He has limited chances to be educated because he's, you know, in a rural high school up and I guess at that time they just moved from Utah to Idaho. He was trying to learn what he could. He the house they bought had a bunch of magazines from popular radio type magazines. He devoured them. He he read about Einstein's theory of like the photoelectric effect and read about Marconi and things, and um, got thinking about radio and what its what its potential was and electricity, all these things that could be done. And while plowing the field, it occurred to him that the lines on the field, you could use similar lines. If you scanned across line after line, you could send an image. With little more than a, a good idea and some, some self-taught, you know, some knowledge that he had, he, I guess he attended BYU for a year but had no money, he convinced a couple of fundraisers that, by God, he could do it. He's like 18 years old and convinces them, that, you know, I think I can do this. And they listen to him, they listen to his pitch, and they invest in him. It's amazing, but um, Zorkin, Zorkin also had the idea that he could he could do television about the same time. And he was um, really
1: well educated, though, wasn't he? He was he was older, and he came over from Russian, and he had I think he had a Ph.D.
0: I think he did. He certainly was. He certainly studied with the universities in Saint Petersburg and in and in, and in France. Uh, came from a wealthy family, and when he came to uh, to America, he got hooked up with I think it was Westinghouse, or at that time there was a, a, a consortium. That was put together by the government after World War II, involving RCA, Westinghouse, uh, I think AT&T, and I think uh, United Fruit, because they were doing some things with uh, banana boats and like radio communications. Uh-huh. And this sort of uh, this conglomerate set to wor- set to work developing a monopoly, which they then did splendidly. and so uh, wanted to do television, and as as this later uh, this later patent fight is a very dramatic story involving Zwerkin claiming that in nineteen twenty three he'd patented television, but it but it really he didn't have a workable model. He had some ideas and he, he was a credible he was a he was a good inventor, but it was Farnsworth in nineteen twenty seven who really put together the a camera tube that was that was so good that it really was the basis for the guts of every television camera that's come along since. Yeah,
1: working as an academic had many of the theoretical ideas right, but was never able to put together that, that first prototype that actually worked. And I think that one of the differences there was the inspiration that Farnsworth got from those early stories of the Wright brothers and of Edison, right. of of the of the single American inventor who says, you know, I think I can figure this out. Yes, you know, an an independent mind figuring it out on his own, and then uh, and then you know leading to to wealth and fame, and and he was kind of combating there this more corporate model that we know today yes. where. RCA and others were setting up these huge labs of scientists who were working together. And so it was really a, not only kind of a, an advent of the era of television, but kind of a, a change in, in the whole paradigm of what it means to invent something, to bring something into uh, into being.
0: The, the Wired magazine goes into the fact that there is this great American, you know, what's, what's more American than the idea of a Thomas Edison or a Robert Fulton or, or a... a um, Even a Thomas Jefferson or right, Ben Franklin, right? Yeah. I mean, great tradition in America of men that just tinkered and came up with a great idea, and by God, it was a better mousetrap, and the world beat a path to their door. But unfortunately, the realities, as as exemplified in the Farnsworth case, were that large corporations were putting together laboratories that were going to that were going to dominate patents. It just so happens that Farnsworth had a, built a prototype, 1927, refined it. By 1930, and was able to get the patents that Zorkin had been trying to get, but was 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 basically not granted because he didn't have a working model. Actually, this uh, there was a commemoration of this event in San Francisco, where uh, Farnsworth's sisters, age 92 and 94, were there. Farnsworth's grandsons were there, and uh, it was really neat to hear them talk about you know the you know their their grandfather, right, their brother, what he what he had um, accomplished. But the most uh, moving um, statement was made, which we have on tape for you, by a man named um, Ted Lilienthal, who uh, at that time was a 19-year-old physics student. And, uh, well, let me, let me let him tell the story.
2: Back in 1929, I was at Galileo High School and I was taking a course in physics. And I was teamed up with another guy to do experiments. And got to know each other quite well. And I guess after two or three months, he said to me one day, Ted, have you ever seen television? I said, what the hell is television? Never heard the word. It didn't exist. He said, my brother is a, a television inventor and uh, engineer, and uh, he sends pictures through the air. I said, that's impossible. He said, no, it's not. That's what we're doing. He said, you want to see it? And I said, yes, you can pull my leg. He said, well, come down Saturday. And I came down to this building, and we'll show it to you. So I came and came down and went up through the same stairs there that, that, that they're still there and he introduced me to Fowler who was then about in his early 20s I believe and we chatted for a while and he said we'll, we'll put on a show for you so we called Oakland where the transmitter was and they put on a picture about uh, it was all about Mary Pickford and by God the, the picture was just absolutely wonderful I couldn't believe my eyes I couldn't believe this was coming through the air from someplace else so I went home later in the day, and I told him my dad what I had seen. He said, that's impossible. How can they send pictures through the air? I said, don't tell me it can't be done. I just saw it. <laughs> so uh, he was a stockbroker at that time. And he said, I'm going to check with some of my friends. And sure enough, a good many of them were backing Philo at the time. Uh, but this was quite an experience, and I never will forget that. And I felt all my life that this non-recognition that's, that's occurred of a man that uh, is just as famous, should be just as famous as Thomas Edison, never is known by anybody. I have quizzed a lot of people. In fact, I was on a cruise a couple of years ago and I had the vice president of CBS was at the, at the table at lunch and I asked him if, who the inventor of television was. He hadn't the vaguest idea of who it was. But the changes in the world that have occurred through television, education, and other ways, are just remarkable. And I feel very proud to have met him at that time.
0: Certainly a moving uh, thing to hear from a man who is an actual eyewitness to history.
1: Absolutely. And that idea about... Farnsworth not getting the recognition that he deserved. That, I mean, people who know the story, and, and of course, uh, Evan Schwartz tells this story in his... We should uh, put a plug in. Yeah. The the Last Lone Inventor, A Tale of Genius, Deceit, and the Birth of Television. This idea of, of deceit and of Farnsworth never getting the recognition that, that he deserved, that's really become the... The kind of the controlling metaphor of this story for people who know about Farnsworth, that uh, although he was the genius, although he had the patent first, uh, because of uh, he was he was fighting all these RCA lawyers, he was uh, fighting some underhanded companies. And uh, with uh, the bad luck of, of World War II beginning when it did, right. he was never really able to capitalize on his, his great invention. Right. And now people today you know, don't know his name.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, the rags to riches Horatio Alger story that should have been doesn't materialize because at RCA, David Sarnoff is determined that they're not going to pay any patent royalties for anybody else's invention. They're going to invent it themselves, damn it. He sends working out at one point, basically as an industrial spy. Yeah. It seems in the end, because Worken goes and they, they they were very open at the lab. It, they actually built the camera for him from in stepwise fashion, showing him every inch of the way how you would do it from scratch. And they must have known they weren't that naive as to realize that uh, that you know that he wouldn't go out and and try and use this to his advantage. But what they thought was that you know, they were going to get the patent. They'd be protected by American law with the patents. RCA would come around, they would cut a deal, and they would work together profitably. And by God, that's what should have happened. Absolutely. But RCA was determined not to pay patent royalties. They put together a team called the Get Around Farnsworth Squad. Uh, Zworkin, Zworkin himself was no, was no slouch, and he and his team were making breakthroughs. But in the end, uh, they went to court, and all the while— you know, it's really sad that, you know, that RCA was like the Microsoft of its, of its time. Exactly. I think a lot of people
1: at home are thinking about Microsoft and the sort of tactics that have been used to, um, to either squelch competition or to buy out those smaller companies that right. seem to have a, a good idea. Right. And to kind of just, you know, fold that into Windows or Internet Explorer or whatever the, the, the Microsoft uh, product or application would be.
0: Well, you know this book, uh, Evan Schwartz's book, and another book, *The Boy Genius and the Mogul: The Untold, untold Story of Television* by Daniel Stashauer, which are virtually identical books—they're <laughs> yeah. almost almost identical—go into this, but they don't—they—they soft pedal, I think, the fact that um, the David Sarnoff, this Farnsworth was not the only body lying in the in the tracks, you know, b- behind Sarnoff. He did pretty much the same thing to Edwin Howard Armstrong, the man that invented FM radio. Oh, I didn't know that. By basically deciding that if FM comes along, well, then who's going to want my AM sets? And, it, you know, it is a better technology. So he basically fought Armstrong. Armstrong finally said to hell with him and tried to build his own national network of FM stations. And due to, due to chicanery and legal battles, um, Sarnoff was able to get FM redefined. He was also able to basically not pay Armstrong anything when they decided – well, television, the, the the audio part of television uses FM. right? And Sarnoff decided that, well, we're just not going to pay him for it and got away with it.
1: And he got away with that with uh, Farnsworth for a long time. Uh, and the television before um, eventually the, uh, the Farnsworth's patent was recognized,
0: right? Well, um, it, it, we, we could have had television. I mean, our, our our parents could have been watching television in the in the mid-30s. Right. Had had RCA just said, okay, this guy's camera's really good. We have to honor his patent. We're going to pay him some royalties. So Warkin's team actually had produced a better television through some accidents and some luck and some hard work. They'd produced a better television. Um, actual TV set, but they couldn't get around the fact that Farnsworth camera was still the state of the art. Right, But had they just cut a deal and gone forward, we'd have had television in the 30s. But I think uh, Sarnoff's idea also was that, why do I want to rush that technology along? The longer I can delay it, the longer I can not pay royalties, patents expire after 17 years. Farnsworth was given the patent in 1930, which meant that his patents would expire in 1947. And I think that, you know, a lot of our listeners perhaps don't realize, but television really took off in 1948. Right. I don't think it's a coincidence.
1: And and Sarnoff uh, also was the king of radio, right? That he was making a ton of money off of radio, which he pretty much controlled. Yes. And so that's another reason it slowed down the uh, the production of sure. this newfangled television sure. because he was already in charge of the existing uh, media when it comes to uh, the existing electronic media.
0: You know, and I, you know, probably know more about this than I do, when you, you talk about this on your show, um... Poetry and technology—that—that that I've heard a lot of people claim that you know Microsoft, despite the claims of being the great innovator, is actually holding everybody back right now.
1: Well, there's a lot to that, and part of it is—it's—it's it's the same sort of idea that Microsoft does have the monopoly when it comes to operating systems right. and office applications. So if someone has a, a, a new idea, a new approach, then it certainly um, is not in Microsoft's interest to promote the new idea. And a lot of people who espouse Linux talk about this, mm-hmm. that, uh, that the, um, the Linux users are able to work together as a community pushing forward a product for the product's sake, rather than to make a bundle of money. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Microsoft certainly um, is feels more threatened by Linux users than, than you know, most of the uh, programmers and inventors who are working in garages, whether it be in Silicon Valley right, or Right, again, or
0: like, like the lone inventor, we love to celebrate, you know, Jobs and Wozniak working in the garage, but when it comes out to battling corporate America, it doesn't always come across so... David versus Goliath, right? Well, Goliath usually wins. Well, he usually Goliath does. has more lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> these days Goliath would win because his lawyers would be fighting the battles for him. Right. But um, you know, it's interesting that there's a double whammy involved in this. That 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 Farnsworth, in the end, by the time by the late 30s. Farnsworth tries to go to England and fight RCA over there, aligning with John Logie Baird, who'd been working on mechanical television. Unfortunately, Baird and Farnsworth cut a deal to go head-to-head against RCA, and then all of his equipment burns up in a fire. Yeah, um, he, He's actually, that the, the, the Nazis were broadcasting, I believe, the Berlin Olympics using Farnsworth's cameras. So he had a chance of actually making a lot of money. And I believe in 1940, they decided RCA capitulated and signed an agreement to to pay him, a million dollars, and to license him. But at that moment, World War II was the second part of the the, tin, the twin punches that knocked poor Philo Farnsworth out of the box. World War II intervenes. All commercial production of electronics ceases for the duration of the war. And he, he knew at that point. He actually knew he, knew he was finished at that point, but he knew it the year before. And I, I actually told a Farnsworth grandson this story, which I don't think he knew, that in, in Schwartz's book... He describes how Farnsworth is walking down the street, and at this time, the New York World's Fair is when Sarnoff has decided he's going to put TV forward for the world. Now, he, Farnsworth had already done this publicly years before in Philadelphia. Right. But, but with the power and the mean you know, the media that, that Sarnoff could bring to bear, when he introduces television, that's what sticks. Farnsworth, walking down the street, stops in front of a store that has a n- numerous of these television receivers, which were fabulously expensive, looks in and sees – David Sarnoff describing how he's now bringing television forward and Zwerkin is his boy, and he realizes that the medium he's created has an unbelievable potential to manipulate and lie to people. Right. And I think he just imploded at that point. Now, get, you get the impression in the book that he just became very depressed at that point.
1: Farnsworth, in the early days, imagined television as a, a medium that would allow one to instruct and entertain and edify right. America. Right. That uh, it, would, it would do great things for all of us as citizens and lovers as cult- of culture and so forth. And, uh, and you're exactly right that in the 1939 World's Fair we have Sarnoff who's presenting himself as the father of television, basically using this photo op to say, you know, look what Swarkin and I have created through hard work, through investment of, of tens of millions of dollars, right. and, uh, and here, is, here is the result. I offer this to, to all of you as an example of uh, the future of science, the, the future of society and the, the world's fair. And, uh, and it was a big lie. It was a big sham. But, of course, people believed it, because uh, at that point, Sarnoff owned the medium, and he was able to obviously control the message. Absolutely.
0: I think poor Philo was never quite the same from from that moment on, when he realized that he was not going to win the battle, and by God, he did not. Um, and, And yes, you know, right now, before we started recording this, PBS is airing their excellent special, Ken Burns' special in the Civil War. When you see something like on like that on television, you realize or when you play in a computer monitor, which is a television, you realize what what this medium can do for good. And and poor Farnsworth just never envisioned the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. And I don't know. Did you did you get a chance? Did you go on the web and look at the Schwartz's site for the, this this one of the most ironic things I've ever seen in my entire life? I didn't. I saw. Are you gonna? Are, you're probably gonna talk about uh, Farnsworth's
1: own uh, appearance on television.
0: His only appearance. Yeah. On national television, 1957, he appears on the game show, which probably some of you are familiar with. If you didn't see it when you were, you know, if you're my age, uh, what's my line? He comes on and stumps the panel. Even though he's he's the inventor of television, and the worst part about it is he wins eighty dollars,
1: and a carton of Winston's, and he seems glad to take it too. It's heartbreaking. He takes takes the money and and the cigarettes, and he walks off camera, you know, smiling. Right. And you know, a a shell of his former self. Right. And you just want to
0: cry. Yeah. It 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 it's just. And, and and what really gets me is Henry Morgan who was quite quite a wag, quite a, quite a wit. Um, when when they reveal to the panel Gary Moore reveals to them this is the famous Philo T. Farnsworth, the inventor of electronic television. You can see the panel is looking just stunned. That oh my god. And they sort of realize the you know the, the gravity of the, the, what this sort of means. Yeah. And, and and Henry Morgan uh, looks at him and says now, you know, tell me the truth. Are you sorry? yeah
1: <laughs> making the same jokes about television that we'd make you know thirty forty years later about uh you know how you know what it's what it's done to our culture and how it really hasn't been used to a great extent in uh the ways that that Farnsworth
0: imagined as a tool for education and for sharing of the arts no, it certainly hasn't but but I think that um probably a good thing to a high to close on is the fact that that Farnsworth himself apparently um his widow it's a shame that his widow should have been given an Emmy they were talking about that this last Emmy this 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 last weekend it would have been nice to have finally honored him but um she told the story that that when they landed on the moon in 1969 and the entire world watched as Neil Armstrong went down and stepped onto the lunar surface he apparently turned to his wife, in spite of all of the, the, the headaches, the travails, the, the, just, the, the crushed dreams he'd had, he looked at her and said, this makes it all worthwhile. Oh, that's nice. And it's, it's, I'm glad that he had that moment, you know, before he... Because he died two years later. He did, in obscurity. But, you know, I think thanks to the fact that Evan Schwartz and David Stashauer and a lot of people talking about him, and the fact that they had this commemoration, I'm, I'm optimistic that he will finally, you know, be given the recognition that, that he's due there's a big
1: statue of him in, uh, what is it, the City Hall in, in where
0: is it, in, in Utah, Salt Lake City? Actually, I believe that, uh, actually, my, I work with a, with a fellow who's um, uh, a Mormon, like, as was Farnsworth, a, a good Mormon kid out mm-hmm. in the frontier. And I guess Utah, every state is entitled to have two statues in the rotunda of the Capitol. Uh-huh. And they had Brigham Young for of Utah, course. but they didn't have any, anyone else. And some high school kids researched it and said, you know, we really ought to honor Uh, Farnsworth a statue, and now and now he has one.
1: So at least uh, uh, Pem Farnsworth and uh, the sisters, the children, the grandchildren, they can go to the big rotunda there, and uh, and see their founding father.
0: Yeah, and it was neat. It was neat being in San Francisco and seeing, having having it be Philo's day, and there were people that came and showed showed up for it, and it was it was a neat thing. You're listening to KDVS ninety point three FM. We'll be right back. Thank you.